Sal Berry. Congratulations. Affixed to the front of this card is a piece of towel used to wipe sweat off of Connor McDavid's forehead. And Tim Parrish. Enjoy this piece of memorabilia. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 2023 Stanley Cup Finals and how all of that went down. We're also going to talk about the 22-23 Upper Deck Trilogy Hockey Card Set. And we'll talk about some other hockey card-related things. Tim, it's been a while. Yeah, it has. I feel better. I'm not sick. It was a nice day over the weekend. Father's Day was cool. I set my deck on fire. That was fun. Really? Mm-hmm. You barbecued on your deck? I always barbecue on the deck. That's where I know. the grill is. Because you're a homeowner, um, so you could do that. But like, yeah. as a renter, the landlords would always be like, Sal, don't you barbecue on that deck? I was trying something different, and I moved some stuff around, and then I forgot, and I saw black smoke, and I went outside, and it was kind of crazy, but whatever. I put it out. The burgers weren't charred that bad. You just had a crispy shell. Well done, my friend. Well done. And also the burgers were well done. Yeah. Now the brats, okay. on the other hand, those were toast. Actually, I got a, a, a near burnt down my porch experience I'd like to share, too. This reminds me. It was like the year after college, a couple of years after college, I was still living with friends from college. And we had a uh, barbecue grill and we'd put it on our back deck and the landlord didn't want us to grill on the back deck, but we would. And so we had one of those electric igniters, you know what I'm talking about? You plug yeah. them in, you leave it on the coal and it heats up the coals and they start on fire. Yeah. So, you know, it would take like 10 minutes or whatever. So me and my roommate, we like, we start that up and then we go into the living room to play video games because we're not going to stand there and wait for it. Right. But the thing was, is that we could sit on our couch, we could turn our head and see all the way through the house, living room, dining room, kitchen, and then out the back door. It was like a straight shot. So we're playing video games, and then we turn and we look just to check on it, and there is like a six-foot flame shooting off the top of the grill. And my roommate and I jump up, and he's like, what the hell? And I said, oh, that charcoal that I bought, that it's matchlit charcoal. Does that make a difference? He's like, yeah, it makes a difference. So... Once we realized that it wasn't going to burn down the porch above our porch because the flame was kind of high, then I ran and grabbed my digital camera and then we took pictures of us conjuring the flames because, yeah, I was like, all right, well, no one's going to die. Nothing's going to burn down. So let's take some some pictures that make us look like we're conjuring like spirits from another world. So, yeah, but I got to ask this about because I'm not a father. So I got to ask this about Father's Day. Is this like the one day of the year where the kids take care of you instead of you taking care of the kids? They they should have been doing the cooking and the cleaning and all that stuff. Nope. Nope. Mother's Day is the one where mother gets pampered. And see, this is my theory. This is why they have Mother's Day in May. Because school's still in. And all the kids can make little gifts and nice little things for mom. And they do things nice because the teachers make them do nice things, especially when they're little. So they get like macaroni necklaces and little paper flowers and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But when do they put Father's Day? In the middle of summer when nobody cares and everybody's yep. busy doing other things. Yep. So and no. and they're always like, hey, Dad, it's Father's Day. You should barbecue us some food. Yeah. Well, that's exactly how this worked. And I planned on doing that anyway because I, lo- I like grilling. Grilling's like one of my favorite things. 
I'm probably going to die from all the carcinogens of the grill food that I've eaten over the years. Yeah, well. But that's okay, because I'll enjoy it. Yeah, do what you love, right? Enjoy my demise. So, speaking of demise, how about those Florida Panthers? See, I'm going to reverse that. Instead of celebrating the Knights' victory, I'm bemoaning the Panthers' demise. So, like an idiot, I went out on Twitter, and the day before, I put my Stanley Cup prediction. And I also said, you know what? I've been wrong before. This is not the last time I'll be wrong. But I put Panthers in six. Oh, man. I was like... Well, not only did I pick the wrong team, I picked the wrong, wrong amount of games, and it wasn't even competitive, really. I mean, it just wasn't at all competitive. So just to recap, just to get some statistics out of the way, the Vegas Golden Knights beat the Florida Panthers in five games. Game one, the Knights won five to two. Game two, the Knights won seven to two. Game three, the Panthers won three to two, but it took them until overtime to do it. Game four, the Golden Knights won three to two. And game five, the Golden Knights won nine to three. So the total scoring for the series, the Golden Knights scored 26 goals across the five games. And uh, the Panthers scored 12 goals across five games. Watching the first game, uh, when uh, Eric Stahl got that shorthanded goal in game one, like that was the opening goal of the series. And I'm like, okay, Sal, looking good with these predictions. I mean, Florida gets a shorthanded goal to start things off. And then after that, it was pretty much all Vegas. So, wow. I mean, I'm, I'm happy for the Golden Knights. A couple of Chicago Wolves players who I saw play here in Chicago are now Stanley Cup champions with the Knights. Yeah, I thought the way Florida kind of, I don't want to say they manhandled the competition up to that point, but they sort of like, it seems like they toyed with everybody and at any given moment just showed flashes of greatness that made it look like they were just going to roll or roll their way through. But then comes Vegas, who, you know, even though Boston set all those records and was the top team for the regular season, I don't know. Other than Edmonton, I don't think the Golden Knights faced any competition that equaled them throughout the playoffs. They were just built to win. That's all there was to it. You're saying that Vegas didn't have any tough competition, or you're saying the other teams were no contest for Vegas? I mean, obviously Vegas won. Yeah, I'm saying other than the Edmonton series, nobody gave them fits. Like pushed them to the brink and and showed that they were at least on equal footing. When you're a contender like that and you have an opportunity, you lay it all on the line. And I'm not taking anything away from what Florida did because they had an amazing playoffs, amazing playoffs. The fact that they came down like on the brink of disappearing and they beat Boston, the best team in the regular season. And then stormed through the rest of the playoffs to get to the finals. I mean, that was impressive. Guys were playing well above their pay grades. And it was fun to watch. They were one of those storylines where, you know, lots of people hate Matthew Kachuk. But also, he kind of is, he's kind of likable, sort of, too, mm-hmm. in a way. Especially for people that wouldn't like him. Just because of how he plays and, you know, 
he's got that aggressive side and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, because the Golden Knights became public enemy number one to most hockey fans for whatever reason, you know, Florida was that team that everybody's like, oh, yeah, Florida's got to beat Vegas. Well, guess what? They did. So, yeah, I think it's crazy all the stuff that's come out afterward. Like, but but just just to throw this out real quick, I mean, after beating the Bruins, they beat the Maple Leafs, and then they swept the Hurricanes. Right. I mean, the Hurricanes look like the team that, like, if the Bruins well, weren't around, the, the the Canes were the team to beat. They technically swept them, but if you if you talk to uh, Robbie B, they didn't they didn't sweep them. Why do you say that? Because that's what he said in the interview after. Oh, it's like we didn't get swept. Well, they lost four games to nothing. <laughs> I know, but he said they didn't get swept. And I know what he meant. It's just the way it came off was kind of weird. Well, I mean, okay, they lost two games in overtime. But yeah. they still lost those games. You know what I mean? Correct. All of these games were within one goal. But then again, Sergei Bobrovsky played lights out up until the finals yeah. and he wasn't but, the starter at the beginning of the playoffs. He stepped in for Alex Lyon. Lyon became like the de facto number one. And then he struggled. And then Bobrovsky stepped in and played like the goalie that he is capable of playing as not only did I think the Panthers were going to win. I thought Bobrovsky was going to be MVP. I figured that if the Panthers win, it's either going to be Kachuk as MVP or Bobrovsky as MVP. And I thought it would probably be Bobrovsky because he was winning a lot of these close games, these two-to-one games, these one-to-nothing games, these three-to-two games. He was making a lot of saves. I mean, up until the finals, he had really great statistics. I thought he was going to be the difference. I look at the Vegas Golden Knights, and yes, they are the Stanley Cup champions. And yes, they have a lot of good players, but who would you call the quote superstar on that team? Jack who would Eichel? I call the superstar? I well, mean, I would, I would obviously, them, I guess. yeah, I but would not really, I would probably give that just because you generally don't call your defenseman a superstar, but I would give that title to Jack Eichel. And yeah, was he an offensive juggernaut in the finals? Absolutely not. But if you watched him out there on the ice, he did so many other things that I didn't know Jack Eichel was that kind of player. Like, I didn't know he set plays up. I didn't know he got into forecheck. I didn't know that he positioned himself on the ice to always know where the rest of his players. I didn't know he played like that. That was a welcome surprise to see that. But, okay. you know, Pietrangelo, he's another one that I'd put. But like I said, you don't really call a defenseman a superstar most of the time. And... He's a very polarizing figure, too, especially because he sometimes takes his stick and uses it as a tomahawk. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. You're right. It's a team. They've got names. Jonathan Marchessault, people have heard his name. He's been around the league a long time. Phil Kessel. But, I mean, where was Kessel? Did he even play a single minute of the of the finals? No. I didn't see him on the ice. No, he played four playoff games. Yeah. So does he get his name on the cup because of that? Yes, if he was on the team long enough and played enough regular season games, then yes. Or the team could, sometimes they can make an exception and ask. I don't think he's the guy you leave off the cup. No. I mean, either either way, he was there. He was on the roster. He did play a few games. He wasn't in any of the finals game. Mark Stone is going to be your 
your unsung hero. Right. When it comes to everybody there because of all the injuries and stuff. Now, of course, you got all your detractors saying, oh, yeah, he misses the whole season. Then suddenly he's healthy. Mark Stone has had a lot of problems over the last couple of years. So the fact that he was able to go and play in the finals, in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and look like he did, that shocked me, really. So, I mean, I don't know. Wild Bill, hero of the after party. I don't know. I like William Carlson. I wouldn't necessarily call him a superstar. But any of these guys on any other team, I mean, pretty much, you throw them onto most other teams and they're going to be overshadowed by somebody else. That's why I said, Pietrangelo, he's got two cups with two different teams. Jack Eichel finally gets a cup now. You know, Kessel's got his third. Mark Stone has a cup now. So it's like they have a lot of players that are solid talent. It's just they don't have a Crosby. They don't have an right. Oskin, they don't have a McDavid. They and don't that's have what a Bergeron. I'm getting at, they don't have that they don't have Kucherov. that. They don't have that. They don't have that type of player that you would expect would be the MVP. Like when Alex Ovechkin won MVP, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. Or when Kale McCarr won MVP, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't like a surprise. You know what I mean? So Jonathan Marshall did win the Smite as playoff MVP. Technically, Jack Eichel had one more point than him. Just looking at some of the statistics, Eichel had 26 points in the playoffs. Marshall had 25 points in the playoffs. But you don't always go with the guy with the most points because the points that Marcheseau got were a little more significant. Eichel had eight assists in the finals, but he didn't have any goals. Right. Marcheseau had four goals and four assists in the finals. And even though goals are points, assists are points, and points count the same in point totals, goals are what wins the game. Having 20 assists in the playoffs is impressive and you know that's what Eichel did but you got to be able to finish and Marcia sold four goals and four assists eight points in a five game span that's pretty freaking awesome I mean he was uh also first in shots during the playoffs he had the most shots of anybody with 80 shots during the playoffs he also was first in even strength goals with 10 even strength goals so 10 of his 13 goals came at even strength so you know he was like the all-around best player if that makes sense he had three game winners so yeah you know i mean just looking at some of the other points i mean matthew kachuk had 24 points he had four game winners honestly if kachuk didn't miss a game if the panthers had forced six games if kachuk had maybe was a little more of a presence and not hurt in the finals he could have very well been that guy that won the con smite on the losing team. Don't you think kind of like the difference maker that got the team as far as they got. If they would have squeaked out a game, at least one more game out of it. Yeah. I could have seen that. Right. But come then, on. The guy played with a broken sternum. Who does that? Other than a hockey player, whether it's right or wrong, who does that other than a hockey player? Can you imagine any other sport? Somebody trying to play with a broken sternum. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. To the point where he couldn't even go anymore. And he finally had to say, I can't. I can't do mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. His brother had to help him get up out of bed. It was wow. that bad. Because Brady was down staying with him. Right. So, yeah. Broken sternum. And I know players always play through 
injuries and pain and bumps and bruises and stuff like that through the playoffs. That's always the case. That happens all the time. But here you have a guy, broken sternum. You have Ekblad, right? Ekblad's going to miss the start of next season because of his injuries. He was in some serious pain. He was looking winced on the side when he was at the bench all the time. And it was like, what's going on with him? Something, Something's happening. And if you remember last year, he like fractured his leg. Wasn't that last year he needed surgery? Like he busted his, was that 20? I think it was in 21. He busted his leg in a game against Dallas. And now he's got like a whole laundry list of injuries and everything else. So he had that broken foot that he got in game two against Boston. And then shoulder dislocation and a torn oblique. Like, I don't understand how these guys go out there and do this and play on a nightly basis with just busted body parts. I have aches and pains and I don't want to get out of bed in the morning to go to work. And this is just, it's crazy. It's from all that barbecuing you do. It is. It's all those carcinogens. At least I don't eat hot dogs though. So I've wiped that out of my diet. Yeah, I mean, why go for a hot dog when you can go for a pull of sausage or a bratwurst or an Italian sausage? I do brats and burgers, and we usually do chicken, so. Okay, so enough tailgate talk. I got to just say this right now. Aiden Hill. Who? What? Exactly. Who? Isn't that guy on the Coyotes? I thought he was on the Sharks. Oh, maybe. He's been around. So... Aiden Hill, I thought, was going to go down in history as like that third string goalie on the cusp of being a second string goalie. And he's a starter. He's a Stanley Cup champion. He had some pretty good stats. I mean, he played 16 games. He had 14 starts, 11 wins, four losses, a 2.17 goals allowed average, a 932 save percentage, which was the best in the league during the playoffs. He had two shutouts which is tied for first with Akira Schmid of the Devils who you remember also had two shutouts so Aiden Hill had really good statistics for the Knights but I mean he was arguably the fifth on the depth chart I mean okay Robin Leonard out with an injury so he would have been the first stringer probably if he was playing or it would have been Logan Thompson you know, you had Thompson was out with an injury. You had Lord Logan Thompson's Salt. like their number. It's first of all, Logan Thompson is like their number one. He is their number he, one. He's their number one on their, on their depth chart. Okay. Laurent Brossois is his name. Brossois. But he's from it's, British it's Columbia. But yeah, okay. it's still it's still right. Canadian French. Okay. Has there ever been a Stanley Cup champion that has used five different starting goalies in a season? I can't think of one. I'm sure there has, but I mean, nah, usually it's just like two goalies and are healthy all season and then one plays all of the playoffs. But I mean, just getting back to the depth chart. So, okay, Leonard out with an injury. Thompson out with an injury. Brossois was injured. He started as the playoff goalie, but Aiden Hill was brought in to address some of those injuries uh, at the beginning of the season. And then Jonathan Quick was brought in at the end of the season, but he didn't do much. I mean, he's also a three-time cup winner, but like Phil Kessel, he didn't do that much. Although I got to tell you, honestly, if I was going to have a veteran goalie on my bench 
I think Quick is a good choice. I mean, even though he wasn't playing, I'd feel more comfortable with Jonathan Quick on the bench than their sixth stringer, who is Jerry Patera. Two games, I think, this season. So you get to the bottom, and it's, it's like, really thin. And Aiden Hill was probably, like, he and Matthew Kachuk were, like, the two biggest stories. Maybe Bobrovsky also, although we kind of expect Bobrovsky to play as well as he plays. You always right. expect Bob to return to form of his Vezina level season. Right. And right. he never does until this year's playoffs. Then yeah. all of a sudden it was like, whoa, where has he been? And so then everybody was like, well, he's just going to keep playing like that. And then all of a sudden, oh, wait, there's the Bob that we've seen the last couple of years. Yeah. But hold on now. Can You can't fault him in the finals, though. I, I mean, I don't. I no. really don't. Because was... when the guy's getting peppered to death with shots – and getting essentially no help in front of them. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, that's the thing, though. I mean, like, when your guys are only scoring two goals, two goals, three goals, although it took them the overtime to get to three goals, two goals and three goals, you're not going to win games. I mean, you got to get, look, you got to score more than the other guys. Of course, but if you look at all the scoring chances that Vegas had, I mean, how many of those scoring chances that resulted in points ended up odd man rushes? And they'd get guys down underneath the defenders. It was ridiculous. What do you expect your goaltender to do? If he's got three guys coming at him and he has to make a play on somebody and you can't cover at least one of the passing options, there's a problem. The puck's going in the net. I mean, you can pretty much guarantee that. Either that or he's going to have to stand on his head. And granted, he did. He made a lot of amazing saves. But there's only so many of those you can do. Now, flip it the other way, the Golden Knights and with Aiden Hill as their goalie, another fun stat I'll throw out, the top three shot blockers during the playoffs, all Golden Knights players. Yep. Alec Martinez, Alex Pietrangelo, Braden McNabb, 57, 55, and 54 blocked shots, respectively. So, I mean, it takes everybody to win a championship. And when your D-men are blocking shots and taking some of that load off of the goaltender. I mean, that helps a lot. I'm impressed how it all came together. And you know, the other thing too, is that going back to 2017, 18 season where the Knights, they said, we don't have a first line. We have four second lines. Right. And that was kind of the thing where like everybody contributed to win. I mean, yeah, you had guys who stood out and played excellent hockey. Eichel lived up to his expectations in that series, Marshall's, like you said, he would have been overshadowed on another team and Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson. I mean, these are guys that would get overshadowed on another team. And on this team, they're allowed to shine. And he did shine. And the one thing that the haters always get wrong is they're like, oh, Vegas was handed a good team. Well, guess what? Almost all of those guys from their first season are gone. I think they only have six players left from their original roster from opening night. So... It's a different team than it was back then, but the mentality is the same. Their style of play is the same. I mean, and yeah, you're right. Eichel is a bona fide superstar. He would be considered the superstar on the team, and especially the way he played in the playoffs. He's lived up to kind of the expectations that we've had for him all along. I mean, being in the same draft class as Connor McDavid is unfair. You take Connor McDavid out of that draft class, Jack Eichel would have been the first overall pick. 
I feel like the expectations were always there for him to play better and Buffalo being Buffalo, it's tough to shine when you don't have the supporting cast. And here, you know, he was able to shine and not have like an all-star right wing or, or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like he was able to shine with the players that he had because he was in a good environment. Right. I agree. It was that wild card going into it because he had no playoff experience. Eichel had nothing playing for Buffalo. I mean, right. what has Buffalo done since he came in the league? I don't not think made they the playoffs. made the playoffs not once. No. So he had no playoff experience. So it was interesting to see how he would handle it. And that and coming off of an injury like he did. Yeah. But it just worked. Everything seemed to work with the personnel that they had. And it just clicked. And that was it. And back to your point about the detractors and everything. I am so tired of this narrative. It's all people have been saying throughout the entire playoffs. Give it a rest, people. They were not handed a team. They bought a team. Okay. They paid a lot of freaking money to buy that team. What was it? $500 million? Yeah. It cost them six years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. So they paid for a team. It was the most anybody had ever paid for a team for an expansion team. Yeah. Were they made up of cast off players from other teams that may not have been regular cast offs in the draft 20 years ago? Sure. But they were also players that weren't top eight necessarily frontline guys. They weren't top two defensive pairings most of the time. And with very few exceptions, one being the only exception, they got a number one goalie right out of the box. And Mm -hmm. look how they treated him. Yeah. They kicked him in the butt and said, don't let the door hit you. So. (laughs) And traded him to Chicago of all places. So, I mean, yeah. Did they have a bunch of talent in the very beginning? Sure. And it got them to the finals, and that was as far as they got. And then fast forward, they're a completely different team. But you got to remember, they were smart about building how teams need to build in today's NHL. There isn't any more of this, let's have a dynasty, let's have a legacy, let's do this, let's do that. It's we need to win, and we need to win right now. So these teams are mortgaging their futures in order to try to win right now. And they're dumping all their prospects. They're dumping all of their draft picks. And they're picking up all of these players that can fill out a roster that looks like a Stanley Cup champion. So that's what they did. Every other team in the league can do the same exact thing. And this whole usurping the salary cap by utilizing LTIR, everyone has the same opportunity to do the same thing. If they don't do it and they don't take advantage of whether you want to call it a rule, whether you want to call it a loophole, whatever you want to call it, it's there. It's there to do. So if teams don't take advantage of it, I don't know what to tell you. But if you go back and look at a lot of team rosters, there were a lot of teams that were over the cap throughout the season based off of LTIR players. Mm -hmm. It happens. It happens every year. It's just the way it is. So you can throw all of your things out. The best one is I heard that the fan base hasn't suffered enough because they're only six years in the league. I'm so tired of that. Give me a break. Just give me a break. I'm by no means a Vegas Golden Knights fan. I'm not. I enjoy hockey. I like the show that they put on because it's Vegas and I used to live out there and I like over the top and in your face and big overproduction and stuff like that because I think it's fun. 
and people like to see it. And I get it. You're going to do that. Some people hate that. The quote-unquote hockey purists, they hate that. They want to be subdued and quiet, just like all the people that jumped on the bandwagon of let's hate on William Carlson because he was drunk and he gave a speech and said the F word. Give me a break. The guy was drunk at the Stanley Cup party. What players don't get drunk at the Stanley Cup party? I remember, what was it, 2017, after the parade, there was like a drone shot or something overhead. Olimata was passed out, <laughs> like passed out from when the Penguins won the Cup. So, yeah, I, I'm just like, you know what? Let people have fun. Leave them alone. I don't care what they say. I thought it was funny. The two things I hate hearing and the, the opposite of what you said. So the like, OK, the fan base hasn't suffered enough. And then the other thing I hate is like when I know like a, with the NBA finals are like after 54 years or whatever, the Denver Nuggets are finally champions. And like the waiting is over. Right. Like who the hell was waiting that long? Are there fans that have been around since the beginning for that team? Sure. But they always make it sound like. I like if they're the example of like the Rangers winning in 94. They're like, after 54 years, right? After 54 years of waiting, who was waiting that long? Maybe Stan Fischler, right? Because he was old enough to remember the team in 1940. But they always make it sound like, oh, the fans that have been following this team for 38 years have finally won a championship. Or like the Cubs, right? When the Cubs won after 108 years or whatever. It's like, finally the wait is over. It's like, yeah, anyone who's waiting since then is now dead. I always hate that. You know, at least we didn't get that with Vegas because it was only six I get years. It. I get that. Like, I get the whole thing because, yeah, if it's a long time and it's a drought, everybody makes a big deal over it. So I, I understand that. You know, just like if Toronto ever wins anything ever, they'll be over the moon. But look, I don't care if it, you win it the first year you're in the league, the sixth year you're in the league, or the 60th year in your, you're in your league. Winning the Stanley Cup is an accomplishment. It's the hardest trophy in all of sports to win, and I don't care who you are. You can't take that away from them. They were the best team. That's it. Plain and simple. And... You know, you can say Boston was the best team regular season. Great. Regular season champions. Put that banner up in the rafters. Regular season champions. Until you win the cup, which they've won a cup before. But that's it. That's the goal. If you don't win the cup, okay, well, guess what? It's next season. You know, it's funny that the Panthers' mascot is named Stanley C. Panther, which is a little presumptuous. Maybe he should change his name to Prince of Wales, Sea Panther. Uh, how long have you been saving that one? <laughs> uh, I thought of it this afternoon. Uh, how about Prince Whale, Sea Panther? There you well, go. Well, it's, it's, it's the Prince of Wales trophy. How about Whale Tea Panther? There you go. That's a confusing name. You could be Whale Tea instead of Royalty. Whale Tea. Yeah, whale I don't tea. know. Just like Stanley Tea Panther. But or Stanley Sea Panther, sorry. Looking at the roster and looking at the Golden Knights players who are under contract next year, because there's always a question, can they repeat? Can they repeat? And I'm looking at their team right now, and the only player that's significant that they don't have locked up, uh, Ivan Barbashev's a UFA at 27. And the way Barbashev played in that playoff, ooh. That'd be yeah. a tough loss. That's going to be a tough loss. And then Aiden Hill, 
is a UFA. Barbashev's a UFA, and Aiden Hill is a UFA. And those are the two players looking at this list that I go, okay, that would hurt the team. The rest of these guys. Um, I can all but guarantee Aiden Hill is going to get paid somewhere. He's going to get paid somewhere. Yeah, yeah, it's not going to be in Vegas. Yeah. He's going to get overpaid for his play in the playoffs by some team. I sickly have a feeling it's going to be Pittsburgh, but we'll see. Actually, they don't have any goalies under contract other than Logan Thompson for uh, next season. Leonard's under contract. Yeah, but so th- I mean, he missed he missed the season after a hip surgery, right? So he's got two years left on his contract with a $5 million cap hit. Yep. So unless somehow they get him to stay on LTIR, what are you going to do there? He was like the chosen one. That's why they dumped Flurry. Mm-hmm. So is he going to return to be a franchise-type goalie? How many goalies return from hip surgery and are back 100%? The only goalie I could think of that had a hip problem and came back and did pretty well for himself was Ray Emery. And I don't quite remember what it was. I don't know if it it was some sort of degenerative hip something or other or some sort of problem that he had with his hip. And he made a comeback and he played really well with the Blackhawks. I mean, he was like undefeated in like 10 games or something when they started the season. I mean, he was the backup, but he got in a lot of starts that year. He's one that I think of that had a hip problem and then came back from it and was successful after that. But don't ask me for another example because I can't think of one. Yeah, I couldn't think of one at all. The other issue is Jonathan Marcheseau, or shall we call him John Smythe? No. John saw that. Now, how long have you been saving that one, Tim? Uh, I, I stole that from somebody. Okay, okay. I heard it before. So, I mean, he's another one. You know, he's got a salary cap hit of $5 million and one year left on his contract. So, with negotiations starting, what is it, July 1st? That's when you can start renegotiating contracts. You want to give a guy a fat contract that's 32 years old? Even though he's good. I mean, he shows he can still play. He's got the ability. But come on, I mean, 32 is traditionally where you start to lose a step. As a forward, yes. I think every year after 33 as a forward is a gift. So just like I said, like my point earlier, yeah, did they buy this team and put it together? Sure. But did they sacrifice a lot? Yeah. When you dump all your draft picks and you empty the cupboards of your prospects, he better win now because you may not win next year. And if this team gets dismantled and has to try to come up with something somewhere, I don't, I don't know. Do I still think they have an advantage being in the West? Yes. I mean, there are historically some weaker teams in the West, but do we see this same team on the ice next year? Uh, no, I don't think we will. Well, I mean, it's going to be close. Like I said, those are the only two big losses that they would suffer, Arbyshev and and Aiden Hill. Logan Thompson has to stay healthy. If he can't stay healthy and proves that he can't stay healthy, they're in trouble, a goaltender. Yeah, you're right. Quick's a UFA, but they're not going to resign him. No, nobody's going to sign Quick, unfortunately. I mean, if Leonard comes... His days are done. Yeah, yeah, that's unfortunate, but sometimes that's how it is, you know? So, yeah, I'm happy for the Knights. It was cool to see them win. I'll say this right now. I've said it before. i say it again. 
people who complain about the Knights having it too easy or that the team was handed to them or that the expansion draft rules were unfair. I'll just say this. Those people don't know hockey. They really don't. They don't. They think they know hockey because they've been watching it for five or six years and they don't do any research into these topics. They just, you know, they go, oh, that's not fair. You know, Vegas is competitive out of the gate. That's really how it should be. The thing you got to remember is there were a lot of expansion teams in the 60s and 70s that failed. And by failed, I mean they relocated or they folded. Well, one folded altogether. You know, the Cleveland Barons just folded. And all those other teams that relocated, you could think of those as failures. You know, I mean, the Colorado Rockies, they were failures. Look at the WHA teams when they joined the NHL in 1979, and three out of four of them relocated. I mean, that was a failure as well, because even though they came into the league and they were pre-existing teams, they lost most of their players and they had to start from scratch. And those expansion draft rules for the WHA teams were punitive. And then you look at like the hand that the Sharks were dealt and the hands that the Ottawa Senators were dealt. And I mean, the only thing that really made the Florida Panthers a cut above was that they were able to get a good goalie their first year, kind of like the Vegas Golden Knights did. But there you go. Exactly. We're just saying. But the thing is, is that those teams pretty much sucked for a couple of years. I mean, granted, Florida made it to the Stanley Cup finals in uh, 95-96, got swept by the Avalanche. So maybe they were a little bit more competitive, a little more competitive, a little quicker. But watching a team lose 70 games a season isn't fun for anybody. It's not good for the league. It's not good for anybody. I mean, I know we get bored sometimes because we have a lot of teams, you know, that win or lose three to two. The teams are so close in talent now because the parity is so good and that's a good thing or a bad thing. But when you have a team that's just terrible and they're just going to lose 70 out of 82 games because they're an expansion team and they're getting all fourth liners, that's not good for the health of the league. So if people think that the Vegas Golden Knights are somehow bad for hockey because they didn't have to suffer like the Ottawa Senators did in the 90s. Those people just don't know hockey. They don't. I wholeheartedly agree. So anybody out there that sees me put something on social media that says something of the contrary, please know that it's sarcasm. Because most of what I say is sarcasm, including this. This is also sarcasm. Or is it? You need yeah, to put like little parentheses that say begin sarcasm and then end sarcasm. Yeah, there needs to be a sarcasm like button on social media. There, there isn't. There was this really funny article. I got to see if I could find it. But it talked about punctuation marks that we need. And one was called sarcasties. And they were like, if you could imagine parentheses, but they were squiggly. So they were called sarcasties. And the idea was, was that if you put something inside of sarcasties, then people reading it needed to understand that that was meant to be sarcasm. You know what? That's not a bad idea. I think I might start using like the, the bracket that has the little pointy thing in it. Little like the greater than and less than bracket. No, the one that's like above the bracket on that. Oh, from algebra class. Yeah. Yeah. The, the curly like, braces, we call them in computer programming, we call them the curly braces. Yeah, I'm going to start using those. That's what, I'll, I'll enclose all my sarcasm in that. When I write something sarcastic on Twitter or tongue-in-cheek, I use the emoji 
that's smiling and has the sunglasses on it. Because I would see that and understand that the person is, like, trying to be funny. But, I don't know, maybe people just don't think that when they see the little emoji with the sunglasses. I, I don't know what that means. I just, to me, that's like my, ha, I'm being funny. I'll put the eye roll one sometimes, or I'll uh-huh. put the upside down face one. Yeah. Yeah, like when I say something like, it would be horrible if the Columbus Blue Jackets got the first overall pick, and then I use the little sunglasses emoji, I'm being tongue-in-cheek. I'm not trying to start a turf war with the state of Ohio. And then 17 people come at you, this is a bad take, Sal. (laughs) Whatever. Oh, God. I'm so... So, uh, anyway. Oh, hey, before we move off of the Stanley Cup Finals, I just got to say, I was... Something I put on Twitter made it to the the TNT broadcast. So technically I was seen during the Stanley Cup finals, but really it was just my tweet with my little picture on the tweet. Oh, that was the um, TNT pregame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that. Remember from the office when Michael Scott said, uh, or he wrote Gretzky's quote on the dry erase board and says he was 100% 100 of the shots you don't take. Yeah. Right. And then he like puts dash Wayne Gretzky. And then he puts after that dash Michael Scott. So I did the same thing with Paul Bissonette, dry erase board. And I wrote on it, stats are for losers. Wayne Gretzky dash Paul Bissonette. Right. And I tweeted out, I said, who quoted Gretzky better? And yeah, that made it on the pregame. And I was like, yay, my not even 15 seconds of fame. I think it was like eight seconds, but whatever. So yay. I I forget what they said. I think they read it. I forget what they said. It doesn't matter because it was all of like eight seconds. So it was just like, all right, yeah, blah, blah, blah. And then, but I like their coverage. If it goes to ABC next year, it, I mean, it's going to, I think it's every other, an every other year kind of thing. I like TNT's coverage because they have a pregame and they have a post game and they had Gretzky for the whole thing. And I like Gretzky as a commentator. I really do. From the beginning of the season till the end, he grew. No, but the thing is, is that he's Gretzky. So just him being there makes it better because he's Wayne Gretzky. And the fact that he's kind of awkward also makes it better in a way. And now I look at the ESPN. Think about though, in the beginning of the year, how painful was it to watch him? It was pretty rough in the beginning. Maybe beginning of last season when he was just really starting. Yeah, but as it went on, like now he... Now I like listening to him because he adds a lot and he adds levity to it and adds the player's viewpoint and mm-hmm. looks at it from a completely different standpoint. And a lot of players do that. But when Wayne does it, it carries a lot more. What's the word? Gravitas. Yes. Or chutzpah. It's got a lot more chutzpah. Especially when he says it. When ESPN covers a game, it's like. Until 5.59 and 58 seconds, it'll be Sports Center, and they're talking about basketball. And then it's like, oh, 6 o'clock. Guess we got to talk about hockey now. And then the hockey broadcast is all right. Play-by-play is fine. In-studio stuff with Bouchergras and Chelios and Messier, I think, is great. But then it's like, oh, 10.01, here's Sports Center, and let's talk about college basketball, right? Like, it's like they can't wait to stop talking about hockey. The hockey guys like to talk about hockey, but outside of that, they're just like, "Mm, my favorite part of their broadcast was watching how annoyed Messier and Chelios looked every time PK Subban said something. (sighs) Okay. 
I like. And he PK. said a lot of stuff that I liked. Like I, like I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed most of his segments. But anytime they do the the pan cam where you had the whole panel, mm-hmm. and he was over there talking and saying something about some, or he'd be saying a response to somebody else, like I always felt like at any given moment Moose was going to throw something at him. Like that's what I felt like every single time. Okay. Chelios and Messier have this bromance going on. They're friends. They get along really well. They like talking about their playing days. They like talking about playing against each other and stuff like that. Because PK is younger, that doesn't make a difference because you look at like, um, well, actually, let me think about it now. When I think about the panel on TNT, I see a lot of those guys are in about the same age group. Bissonette is younger, but he's, you know, obviously very down to earth. But, like, P.K. Subban, I think, is would be better not as a studio analyst. You know what I think the perfect job for him would be? Do you remember when Ronick, Jeremy Ronick, would go out and do, like, the sideline reporting or, like, do, like, the special feature type stuff? Yeah. I think that's where Subban would fit in really well because he's personable. He's great one-on-one. He's funny. He has a sense of humor. And I think that, like... 80% of what he's good at doesn't get used when he's sitting behind a desk giving game analysis. Can he do that? Yes. But then if any of his personality starts to like shine through, then you get the eye roll from Messier, you know? Lots and lots and lots and lots of people have been talking about how viewership was down for the Stanley Cup finals. So viewership what? was down. It's been the lowest and blah, blah, blah. Just bottom line, one of the biggest reasons is because all the games were buried on cable channels. Mm-hmm. If it was on ABC, NBC, CBS, one of the major networks, Fox, whatever. Yeah. Fox minus the glow puck. If it was on one of the major networks that people could get with an antenna, the viewership would have been probably normal. Probably would have been exactly what it normally is. But just because it was buried on the cable channels, I think that's why it suffered from that. Absolutely. And if ESPN gets the rights to the finals, maybe we'll see the games on ABC. Yeah, but my problem with that then is that they always want to hurry it up so that we can have the local news on at 10 o'clock. At least if they do that, though, they do have the option to push it over to another network, whether it's regular flagship, ESPN2, one of the other ESPNs. Or heck, even throw it over to your ESPN Plus and put a feed on there so that people can go to the app and watch. Okay. Something. For post-game stuff. Yeah, something. Yeah, okay. Post-game, pre-game, whatever. Just to have it. Turner does what they want. So they know that they're trying to capitalize on something and make the best of it, so that's what they did. And they're trying to make the NHL programming just like their NBA programming, which people view as most people that are watching NBA programming, they'd much rather watch TNT or TBS for the NBA coverage than ESPN too. ESPN yeah. also, not ESPN yes. too. No, so. I agree. I love TNT's coverage way more. I'll always watch their Wednesday night game. I mean, I actually look forward to it. Yeah. We'll see how they handle the coverage going into next season. Should we talk about some hockey cards? We absolutely should talk about hockey cards. All right. So just want to throw out a couple of the new releases that just came out recently. May 25th, we had 22-23 Trilogy. We'll talk a little more in depth about that in a minute. 
Um, June 7th, we had 22-23 Upper Deck Extended Series. June 12th, originally June 7th, but then moved to June 12th, 21-22 Fleer Ultra on EPAC. And then June 14th, 21-22 Ice. So we had two sets from this year come out in the past month and two sets from last year come out in the past month. And Tim, you actually bit the bullet and bought some Flare Ultra. I did. Tell us about that experience. I, I wanted to see what all the all the crazy hype was about. And if it was worth the five-day delay. Although now that I looked at it, I wonder if it's because they also had something dropping that day and maybe they wanted to push it push it down. I don't know. Too many premieres all in one day. Yeah, gotta, who knows? You gotta back it off. So, yeah, I decided to bite the bullet, so to speak, and and see what all the fuss was about with Flare Ultra. Because I like the preview images. I like the way it looked. Um, I like some of the sets. The designs and everything of the inserts and such so jumped on there packs are nine dollars and 99 cents for eight cards wow so about buck 25 is that what that works out to math is not my strong suit that's why i do taxes for a living yeah buck and yeah. a quarter yeah so buck 25 card i don't know i guess that's okay maybe steep for a flare ultra but whatever so I jumped in and grabbed a few packs just to see what everything was all about and check it out. And um, I like the I like the cards. So here's the thing: you get base cards, right? Your base cards are digital, digital cards. You get five. You can combine them and make a silver parallel. You also will get silver parallels in packs. There's one in a pack, so you get one silver foil. And the silver foils are actually real cards. So those are the cards that you can add to your account and have stripped to you. Anything other than a base card, from the most part of what I can tell, is an actual physical card. So all the inserts, the medallion cards, the 30th anniversary parallel cards, the silver foil, the blue foil, all of that, those are actual cards you can have shipped. So a physical card. So I like them. I like the design. I'm not going to say that they're my favorite. I also don't know that I'm going to go crazy and buy more packs. Because after I opened them all and I was like, eh, I hopped on over to Com C and proceeded to buy either 16 or 18 of the Penguin cards for about $6 and 48 cents roughly so <laughs> less than a pack and i bought a bunch of the base cards silver parallels and a bunch of the inserts so of course not any of like the really great ones but still if you can pick off some if you're team building or player building stuff like that if you can pick off a bunch of these for 27 30 50 cents or less you're doing pretty good if they're different it's kind of a different design it's not like any of the flare ultra designs from the mid 2000s that all looked alike and were hard to tell apart it's definitely unique yeah i'm looking right now and it looks like some of the silver foil base cards are 28 cents yeah like i said a lot of them are under 30 cents and i'm sure there's some that are like maybe you know a buck 
like the star players or whatever. Yeah, you start to get higher in, like when you get to the blue parallels, uh, the blue foil. You know, some of the better players, you'll see higher prices on those. Some of the silver foil rookies, you'll see higher prices on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the 30th anniversary of the star players. The shocking thing to me is most of the fabulous 50s are less than 50 cents for all of the Hall of Famers. Wow. Like, it's mostly Hall of Famers and retired players, and they're all like dirt cheap. Like mm-hmm. nobody gives a crap about Hall of Fame cards. Mm-mm. And it's sad. More for me, I guess. They either want a current player or they want a graded card of a Hall of Fame player. Yeah, no thanks. I did get a gold medallion mm-hmm. from my packs. How yeah. did those look? Cool. Uh, they remind me of the what the '95 gold medallion, from, yeah, where the whole card is gold and it's embossed. Mm-hmm. It kind of sticks up. Yeah, I pulled one of those so. I think I'll probably have that one shipped to me just to see what it looks like in person. I pulled uh, Patrick Liney. Did you transfer to your ComC account yet? Not yet. I don't think I'll do that. I'll just cash out from from here. Yeah. I like those Fabulous 50 cards. I like the way they look. They're very colorful and like color matched with the player. So they look kind of neat. I could see myself building that set. Especially if it's all Hall of Famers and it's all going to be dirt cheap. Yeah. Again, that's what I love about EPAC stuff. As a buyer, I love it. I did this a couple of years. Well, I did this starting in 2016 or 2017. I can't remember. I think it was in 2016. I built the 1617 Compendium set. The story about that set is that it was three series. Each series was 300 cards. It was a digital-only set that was like 99 cents a pack. But if you got, I think, eight or 10, I can't remember now, eight or 10 of the same digital base card, you could meld that into a blue parallel. But most of the blue parallels were being sold for 30 cents, little under, little over. And I remember they would do their Black Friday sale and their Cyber Monday sale and their spring cleaning sale. And I would just go and I would just buy a bunch of compendium cards from 1617. And I would try to buy them at sub 30 cents. I wasn't in any rush to finish the set. Because if you're in a rush and money's no object, you can have whatever you want tomorrow. But I told myself, "Mm, I'm going to try to build this set for $300. So I actually set a budget and I kept the spreadsheet. And I actually would like buy a card, fill in how much I paid and... Over like five years, I think I finally got, let me see. Yeah, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20. So six years because I got my final shipment of compendium earlier this year. But that's the thing is that I let other people bust the packs, try to get the rare chase cards, try to do all the bounty programs and this and that and the other thing. And and then they just throw their junk on Com C and I'll buy it because I still like cards. I don't care if they're. 30 cents or $30 or $300. If you like cards, you like cards. I didn't meet that goal. I had to go over $300. And the reason was, was because ComC started charging sales tax. So if you bought $100 in credit, I would have to pay like $111 to account for Illinois sales tax. So that's kind of like what blew my curve. But otherwise, I was pretty close. Oh, and then 
series three, almost nobody really was melding them as much for some reason. Probably because it came towards the end, you know. Yeah. Well, series three had Austin Matthews, so yeah, series so three had series all the rookies. So I used to have people asking me for my Austin Matthews because I bought a bunch of Compendium on one of the days where it was like fifty percent off, and those were already ninety nine cents a pack. So I was like, fifty cents a pack, you can buy like a whole box for twenty five bucks. Right. So I was like opening all these Compendium. I think I had like six Austin Matthew rookies. Mm, people, nice. people were always asking for me to trade but they'd always send blind trades and i decline those too much they, work they annoy me you so, want to trade me you tell me what you want and you tell me what you're going to give me and we'll go from there but i'm not going to sit there and peruse all of your nine thousand cards and try mm-hmm. to figure out something i want I'm not doing right it. and then you you suggest a trade and then you decline it and you just spent like you know 30 yeah. minutes going through all their cards yep i think i'm reasonable a lot of times I just I give people whatever they want and just take whatever in return. Right. But I'm not going to sit there and waste my time on your I want this card, blank trade. No. Right. I'm not doing it. Okay, let's talk about trilogy, shall we? Let's do it. 22-23 Upper Deck Trilogy Hockey. All right. So, just a little bit of a recap. Trilogy was canceled last year. Didn't come out in 21-22. That was when Upper Deck Basically, was so backlogged with the releases, they canceled a couple of them, including Trilogy. So this year's Trilogy was released the end of May 2023. So didn't come out during the regular season, but technically it still came out during the 22-23 season. It was the playoffs. It's about 130 bucks for a box. You get six packs per box. You get four cards per pack. And this is what a box should give you it says it gives you one autograph card and one memorabilia card per box you also get three rookie premieres you get three rookie renditions or generation inserts you know any combination of those two you get three numbered parallels and then you get either one plexi card which is printed on like clear plastic or a parallel that's numbered to 99 or less or a rookie year photo variant or a rookie cryptics card. So that's what a box gets you. So I opened a box. I was underwhelmed. It gave me everything that it said it would, like all of these things, like three of this, two of that, one of these, whatever. But the thing is, is that like, I struggle with these types of sets because it's a hundred card base set, but it's not a set for set builders. And then I look at the other cards, and really, I guess the reason why people like Trilogy is for the signature pucks. You don't always get one per box, and then you get one autograph per box, but usually like... Yeah, signature pucks, the tiered rookies, the the acetate cards, those are usually the draws. Right, so the signature puck that I got in my box was a Redemption. So I didn't even get the card, which is fine. I understand Redemption's necessary evil, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that on an episode. But I got a signature puck of a guy named Braden Tracy who played like one game for the Ducks. And that was like 17 months ago. He played one game in 21-22. And he's appearing in a 22-23 release that's coming out late in the season. I feel like if a guy makes a debut at the end of the season and then he appears in the next season's product, you go, okay, that guy was a late 
season call up and he might may or may not pan out. Right. But I feel that like when over a year has passed, well, and again, I know that these cards are in production for a long time. So I don't know. It just, I was underwhelmed by that. And I was underwhelmed by my memorabilia card, which was of Anje Kopitar, great player, not a great looking design, not a great looking Jersey piece that they used. They used a white Jersey piece and it almost looks like Kopitar is blending into the boards because the Jersey piece looks like part of the boards. (laughs) So it's just a funny looking layout. Like they put it across his knees, like where an autograph sticker would normally go. So I was just like, man, okay, for 130 bucks, my hits were a signature of a guy who's played one game in the NHL a jersey card of a Hall of Famer when he retires, but it's a white jersey piece, and it's not even that nice looking of a card. It's just a base design repurposed. And then I got a plexi card called Frozen in Time of J.T. Miller. And that card's pretty darn thick. It's like an eighth of an inch thick. It's printed on plexiglass. I mean, it's a thick card. I like it. Uh, I like these kinds of cards. When I find them and they're cheap i usually buy them i've never put together a set of them but i always find them so cool like to have like a card printed on clear plastic like it's being printed on ice kind of like what it looks like yeah and then you know as far as like the inserts these look like they could be in any set really you know what i mean like i look at like these rookie renditions and i look at like these generations and you know these could be upper deck series two inserts or they could be Flair Ultra inserts. They could be inserts from any set. There's nothing unique about them that I go, oh, yeah, that's Trilogy. And I'll tell you what, those base cards, they look an awful lot like artifacts. Thank you. There's really nothing to them. They could be artifacts. You're absolutely right. And there are quite a few renditions of Trilogy that do look like artifacts and have looked like artifacts. This one looks a lot. Like artifacts, in my mm-hmm. opinion, a lot. Which, uh, I don't know. I think they could have deviated from that design a little more than they did. But I will tell you this. You tell. Those rookie rendition cards. Gag. I don't like that design. It's ridiculous. It looks like a bonus card that you would have got free in a pack at the Expo or the National mm-hmm. or something where 60% of the card is card design and there's like a little cutout of the player and everything is superimposed. And those Generations cards, oh, geez, they're horrible. I'm sorry, but they're horrible. They remind me of like those Milestone cards or the Biography of a Season cards that they did for a few years where they're just like, they haphazardly threw something together just because. And I know a lot of work goes into this and a lot of work goes into the design. And I'm not trying to diminish the people that work on these, but eek. It's not a trilogy design, I don't think. So the rookie renditions, yeah, quite a bit of the card is used by the border on the left side. It's kind of like a circular border that kind of sweeps out. The players kind of protrudes over the border, like their stick or their glove or something. But a lot of it is just filled up by card border. And as far as the generation inserts, they break those into past, present, and future. So I think the idea is is there's like a legend player, a current star, and like a rising star. And maybe they fit together, not physically fit together, but 
thematically fit together in some way. I mean, I kind of like that. Like, I'd love to see like an insert set that maybe would do something like, say, like a Bobby Hull card, a Jeremy Roenick card, a Patrick Kane card. You know what I mean? Or like maybe even just like do every decade or something or or just like just like different eras, like generations. Like this was the best Blackhawk when my parents watched hockey. This is the best Blackhawk when I watched hockey. This is the best Blackhawk when the kids of today watch hockey. You know what I mean? Like that'd be kind of a cool thing to do. And so that kind of fits the three things because trilogy sometimes forces that three thing a little, little down our throats. Who would you put as the best Blackhawk now? Well, I mean, you just put a shadow of a player with a question mark and put CB yeah, right. T B A, parenthesis C B, right? L O L. To be um, announced. Yeah, we don't need to make an announcement. We know who it's going to be. Yeah, and who would you put as the best penguin of today? Currently. Yeah. It's hard to argue that it's not still Crosby. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the you hard part do... would be to put the who was the best penguin up until 1984. Rick Kehoe. Maybe, but prior to Rick Kehoe being on the team, I mean, you had a whole time frame there where there was a revolving door of roster people. We had, what, didn't Pierre LaRouche get 50 goals? Yeah, you also had uh, Sean Pronovo, who was a great player. I mean, they had a lot of good players back in the early days. They were just, they were here for a good time, not a long time. Right, well, I guess what I'm saying, though, is that still just be kind of like a fun idea yeah, for no set. it would like, i agree i think it'd be cool like thinking about like trilogy like a fun insert set for a set called trilogy again where they really force the three things and by force the three things i mean a lot of these cards have three different parallel versions some of these cards have three different tiers so the base set parallels have a common uncommon and rare tiers so even though there's three different versions of the base cards, three different parallels. There's also three different tiers within those parallels, right? So they really kind of push the three thing. Red, or blue, like green, and then common, uncommon, rare. Yeah. yeah, and then like the rookie cards, the rookie premieres, there's level one, level two, level three. So there's like three different levels of like rarity. You know, if they wanted to like push the three thing, they should do like a, an insert set of like guys who scored hat tricks. Here's your three, right? Are the rookie premieres like they always were, where level one is like a zoomed out shot and level two is like kind of zoomed in and then level three is like a close up? So like I got a level one that's a far shot. I got a level one that's a close shot and I got a level one that's a mid range shot. Even though they say level one on them, they're numbered out of different numbers. One's numbered out of 999, one's numbered out of 699, one's numbered out of 299. So yeah, must be the three tiers. They did base rookies, common, uncommon, and rare. So, and you get one of each in a box. So even like they're tiering of the rookies. So they're tiering the rookies. So they have level one, level two, level three. And within each level, there's common, uncommon, rare. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Just be glad it's not level one, level two, level three, common, uncommon, rare. And then each one of those has red, green, blue, orange, magenta, zebra stripe, glow in the dark. Lime green, gold, purple horseshoes, red balloons, spectrum, green clovers. Yeah. Just be glad diamond. it's not that ridiculous. Because it could have been. 
Oh, it absolutely could have been. We're yeah. going to save that for OPG Platinum. Or the next artifacts. With rose gold and gold and silver and... Don't and... forget wood and leather. Oh, God. So anyway, so like looking at my box, I mean, I know you don't always get the best cards in a box. But the sell sheet should just say, instead of saying sample images shown, they should just say actual results may vary. You know, it's like when you're watching late night TV and they show that like weight loss supplement and they show people like the before and the after and you go, yeah, that's how I want to look. Right. And then at the bottom, it says actual results may vary or sometimes they say results not typical. And I feel that like when you look at like a cell sheet and you you see like a Sidney Crosby autograph and then you see an Igor Shesterkin jersey patch card and then you see a Maddie Beneers autograph or whatever and then you're like, wow, that looks like a great set. It needs to have like the fine print that says, you know, actual results may vary or results not typical. And I mean, I know that when I see a cell sheet or sample images on like DA Card World or Steel City Collectibles or whatever. They're just showing you like the best cards that you can get. But I feel like I kind of got like the complete opposite of that. And that's usually why I steer away from this because I go, okay, base cards. I'm not going to build this base set. Maybe I'll buy the base set at a show for 10 bucks or so, but I'm not going to build this base set. I look at these inserts and I go, yeah, these inserts don't really wow me. They're not like, say, like those um, pop art inserts from the uh uh from From clear Clear ultra Ultra, or like the 16-bit inserts from um allure right like i look at these inserts and i go okay inserts are nothing special the base cards are nothing special the trilogy rookies are nice and they're shiny and i guess like though if i was going to collect rookie cards i'd probably want to collect rookie cards that were a little bit easier to obtain. I could put that two different ways. If I was a seller, if I'm a flipper, if I'm an investor, I want the rookie cards that people are going to buy. And trilogy rookie cards are underrated, despite looking nice, despite being serial numbered. They're always going to lose out to a young gun. And Tim, how many young guns do they print of every card every year? Uh, 1.9 bajillion. Bajillion, right? And yet a card that's numbered out of 399, people are going to look at that and go, oh, I want the young gun. I don't want the trilogy rookie that's numbered out of 399 or 299 or 99 or whatever. So as a collector, I go, these are nice rookie cards, but I only get three of them in a box and there's like a crazy amount of them. I'd rather go after the young guns. I'd rather go after either the young guns or I'd rather go after OPG marquee rookies or something that's a little more obtainable, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. So then what are we and left with? I agree with, with you. Any, with... any numbered rookies, any rookies that are numbered that come out of any of the major sets, I mean, they're always underrated. Like, yeah. always. They're never not underrated because, how do I put this? The majority of people that are going to chase after those that are collecting hockey, they know what they're looking for. Yeah, you will have your group of people that'll buy everything in the mix of this and that. But the vast majority, you're right, they're going after the young guns. If they're going after a rookie, it's either a young gun or it's the cup rookie or, to a lesser extent, an ice premier 
maybe some of the rare OPG platinum rookies, maybe. So it just depends on who it is, and it depends on what the parallel is. It's going to have to be a very low print run one. But other than that, one night out of one ninety nine, three ninety nine, nine ninety nine, it doesn't matter if they're serial numbered or not. People will right. ignore them. Right. Even with the stars, they'll ignore them. That's always been something that's fascinated me. So what we're left with then, really, is the memorabilia card and the autograph card. Some of the autograph cards in this set look fantastic. And maybe the one that I will get when I get my redemption, maybe it will also look fantastic. Maybe this guy will end up being a great player. Maybe he'll end up in the KHL. I don't know. I'm not trying to sound salty about the card that I pulled because you never know with these guys. I mean, look, who's collecting Tage Thompson six years ago? His parents. Was that was that a rhetorical question? It was. I mean, That's exactly it, right? Like, like what was right. our joke? Was like, like, like the hobby bros be like, "Hey, when are the Tage Thompson rookie cards going to come out?" It's like, uh, yeah, they did like six years ago, and he's wearing a Blues jersey. <laughs> yeah, I need to chase this guy. He's awesome. Where are his rookie cards at? Right. Uh, they came yeah. out like five years ago, and look in the uh, quarter boxes for St. Louis Blues cards. You'll find them. Right. Then I look at the jersey card and I go, oh, come on, man. For 130 bucks, the jersey card should be nicer. It should. I don't know if I like this trend. I'm noticing this a lot lately with sets like Artifacts, with sets like Trilogy, where they're taking the base card design and then they're sticking a jersey piece on it. And I get it. You don't have to come up with an all new design. But it's like, why bother? I don't find that interesting because a base card is designed to show you what the player looks like. It's designed to show you the player in action or doing something, right? And then when you just throw a piece of jersey and it's like overlapping the player's photo, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't look good. It's not interesting. That's why I like, even though they're like pretty much worthless, the UD jersey cards that we used to get pretty frequently in Upper Deck Series 1, Upper Deck Series 2. You know what I'm talking about? It pretty much used to be one per box. More pretty or less. much used to be one per box, sometimes as many as three per box. But they would do the card horizontally, and then they'd have a player photo on one side and the jersey piece on another side. Or sometimes they would do them vertically, but they would still do it in a way that it looked nice. Like they were designing this card with the thought, a piece of jersey is going to go here, so we got to not have other stuff there, right? We're not going to cover up part of the player with this piece of jersey. But now we're just kind of seeing like, eh, let's just do a base design with the jersey piece. And it's just not that interesting. So I guess or they would do game jersey card with a player in an Oilers jersey. The card says Montreal Canadiens and has a swatch from the Boston Bruins on it. Or they would do that. would be... The one that you had like 18 of. Uh, I've got like 20 some of them. Sergey Samsonov. Samsonov. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> Sergey yeah. Samsonov. It was 06, 07, Series 1. Yeah. This came out of. Well, nothing made me more sore than when I got that Dino Cicerelli jersey card. And it pictured him in a bright green North Stars jersey. And the jersey swatch was a bright red Red Wings jersey swatch. Gotta love those Franken cards. 
Why would I haven't you gotten do one that? in a long time? I, why, I honestly haven't gotten one. In a I, long I just time. don't understand why Upper Deck ever did that. I used to be a nuisance to them. I'd send them back the jersey cards with the swatches like that and say, the swatch doesn't match the photo. And then they'd send me back a form letter that says, it doesn't have to. Enjoy your card. <laughs> Enjoy this piece of memorabilia that may or may not have been worn by the player on the card and may or may not have come from an actual game and may or may not even be from something from Earth. No, wait, hang on. That's not upper deck. You're talking leaf now. That's, That's uh, leaf language. Panini does that too. Panini, yeah, no. Upper deck is at least upfront with that. Enjoy your piece of towel that we picked up off the floor. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Affixed to the front of this card is a piece of towel used to wipe the sweat off of Connor McDavid's forehead. They still do that with SP Game Used. There's all of those. The banner seasons where it's like a banner from an event. Mm-hmm. I'm guilty or, of buying some of those. You know, who did the tablecloth? Was that Tops? I think it was Tops. Did the Sounds like something Tops would from do. A, from what an event. Uh, event used tablecloth. <laughs> was the event lunch? I have no idea. You know, the event was the barbecue at Tim's Father's Day barbecue. Yeah. So while we were talking here, I tried to pull up to see if there was any closed auctions on any individual cards yet for trilogy just to see mm-hmm. what's out there so the slavkovsky um rookie premiere the one numbered out of 99 sold for 113 bucks that's uh, something uh, um, yeah the maddie Beneers 0506 tribute rookie premiere that's the acetate one so it looks like the 0506 design Number down 99, one sold for 160. Those are your two big winners. There are mm. some little ones here and there. Most of the premier rookies, at least for now, have sold anywhere from eight to 10 bucks, with the exception of a Seth Jarvis Future Generations Green, numbered out of 75. That sold for 17. So all of them had bids, decent bids, but. That's really what they're going for. So here's a bunch of numbered rookies, again, going for pretty cheap. So, you know, what's funny is that in 23-24, everybody's going to be chasing Connor Bedard rookie cards. But you're still going to have 22-23 sets coming out. And I wonder if people are just going to, like, not even bother with that. Like, they're just not going to even bother with 22-23. And they're just going to save their money for 23-24. Unless Upper Deck has a way that they can dump about, what did I figure? I think there were seven sets that I saw for 22, 23 still. Mm-hmm. Unless they can find a way to pour those out in the next four months. Let's just say before November. Mm-hmm. And we're going to assume that he's not going to be in Series 1, so... Maybe even before February. Right. So I could see him getting everything, getting everything out. Considering what's left. I mean, the only real major sticking point would be the cup, which usually doesn't come out until late anyway. So uh, any last thoughts before we wrap this one up? Don't get us wrong. We're not necessarily bagging on this product. There's a lot of variety there that can, I think, sort of thin it out a little bit. To where, yeah, you'll get what you're expecting out of a box, but they may not be the quality of 
players that you're looking for necessarily. So there's a lot to be had. So you got to be willing to take the risk off of the sticker price. Yeah, but. I'd agree with that. Like if this is the sort of thing that's in your wheelhouse, if you like high risk, potential high reward, then trilogy's worth it. Especially if you like those signature Plux cards, which have grown on me over the years. I like the way they look. I would certainly recommend if there's like a, not that I want to encourage people to do this, but if there's a cost beneficial break out there that you can get in to maybe take a shot at a couple or just go out and check out some of the singles that are out there. There's a lot for sale, but since it hasn't been out that long, there's not a lot of sold completed auctions, but there's a lot of stuff posted that you can find. So buy singles, buy the ones you want, put together your own box. I like that idea. Buy $130 worth of singles instead of go. a box. You'll get exactly what you want. But sometimes there's fun in taking risk if that's your thing. I could buy an Upper Deck Series 2 base set, but I don't. I build it myself. I buy boxes and I get the young guns. I don't get all of them, but I at least get a start on it. So, I mean, you know, pick your poison. Or jump on Com C like I did and buy 18 of the Flare Ultra Penguin cards for $6. <laughs> Save yourself the hassle. Yeah, it's still I, fun to open them. Oh, it's got, always fun to open packs. I got one red glow out of the packs. I think that gold line A. Red glow. It was a gold card of a blue jacket that had a red glow. Yes. Just so I'm getting yes. all my colors straight. Well, I think we should end it here then because I, I got it. I got it right. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe. Please take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to this podcast. Take a moment to give us a rating. It would be super helpful to help the show grow. Also, please give us a follow on social media. Tim is on Twitter at TheRealDFG. I'm at Twitter at PuckJunk. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.